It is hard for me to believe, but it is Tuesday. Listen to this, July 20th. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend Dan Nathan for this week's macro setup brought to you by presenting sponsors, fastest dealers in North America. And we're going to be joined by the great Peter Hanks. And oh, by the way, Open Exchange, Dan Nathan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I am so geeked up today for some reason. I don't know why. How are you? I'm doing great. You got a little uh, whiplash here, I think. The last couple of days in the market here, we started off with a little volatility. You know, I think that the uh, the downward action and then the late day rally follow oh, through yeah. to today. What's make but listen, if the S&P ends up making all uh, making back all the ground that it lost yesterday and it was just like this, it just like was just a like a little dream. What will that mean to you, buddy? Well, it would mean that, you know, history is repeating itself. And we talked about this on Fast Money last night. And, yeah. and I, I didn't want to be dismissive of it. And I didn't want to be glib. But one of the things I said to Courtney, who hosted last night, was we've seen this before. And yeah. typically 24 to 48 hours later. It's in the rearview mirror, and we're making new highs. And, you know, the VIX, which had a huge move yesterday, will probably wind up giving it all back. That hasn't happened yet, Dan, and we'll see. But, again, it's just sort of part and parcel for what we've seen, not only the last six months to a year, but really the last decade to 12 years. And, you know, we can talk about why that is. It really doesn't matter. But all dips are being bought. By the way, which brings us to our first slide, Earl, because it's really important. I mean, look at this. Look at this headline. A lot of very young people, I don't know if that's you and I, Dan, are going to buy the dip in stocks. This is a Bloomberg headline. Really interesting. Oh, by the way, Goldman Sachs says, don't buy the dip. And here's why. I mean, obviously... You know, for every, you know, for every ying, there's a yang. Well, that seems to be the case right here. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that that headline's coming from Goldman via the Zero Hedge um, Twitter I love account. love that, by the way. Where, where Bloomberg's comment, they're basically saying that the young people, these new entrants into the market um, over the last couple of years, they have cash. And every time there's a dip, um, they buy it and they are rewarded. And this is the only way that they know how to trade these markets. And that makes perfect sense. But I'll just give a, a step back, guy. If you think about out over the last year and a half since the start of the pandemic, um, you know, we had that crash in February, March 2020. It was the fastest 30 plus percent decline, I think, ever on record. Mm -hmm. But within a few months, we are literally, you know, we were back kind of like retaking those prior highs from February 2020. I think it took about four or five months to do so. So again, if you were new to the markets and that was your first bear market, you'd say, listen, I'm going to dollar cost average in this thing when we start hitting correction mode. One thing though, guys, really important. If you think about why we sold off yesterday and at, at the lows, I think the S&P was down two and a quarter percent at its most. Yep. That was the worst down day um, all year. But think about it. If there was these Delta variant headlines, we traded through a lot of periods with a lot of bad headlines as it was related to COVID after the market had bottomed. And again, anybody who bought a dip on a COVID headline over the last year since we got to the prior highs was rewarded. Is that fair? It's extraordinarily fair. And I think, you know, the markets, listen, I think we've, I've used the word before, we've sort of acclimatized ourselves in terms yeah. of, you know, what we're able to cope with. And listen, I, and we're not dismissing this Delta variant by any stretch, but our job really isn't to talk about, you know, the health ramifications. It's to try to more talk about the market ramifications. And for 24 hours-ish, it was a factor. Today, it's as if nothing ever happened. And it's really interesting. Why is that? Because I think the markets learn how to cope with that. No, oh, by the way, to this headline, 
every time you, every time you've bought the dip, you have been rewarded. Now you know, and I know that that trend will end. It will end historically, and it will end tragically. I just don't think this is what it ends yeah. on. That Goldman Sachs says, "Don't buy this dip." Here's why. Well, there are a number of different reasons. We'll see. But for at least a day now, everything has changed. What also is interesting when we talk about this, uh, I know, is the big reversal today in yields. But that's for another, you know, a few minutes from now. The first yeah. chart we really need to look at, obviously, is the S&P 500. Because as the great Carter Worth would say, yesterday we traded down to the 50-day moving average, which comes in around 42.40 or so, to the penny. That 200-day, basically now at 3,900. Obviously, it's still sort of the bullseye out there. As, as um, Chris Verone said yesterday on Fast Money, each day, and I don't want to get too wonky here, but each day that moving average basically is increased by about five or so S&P points. So it stands to reason over the next 15 or 20 trading days that moving averages are coming around 4,000. And that's probably the bogey in terms of where this market wants to trade. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting, Guy, if it fills in the S&P in particular, that gap from yesterday. And then if you look at that kind of trend channel, you know, we drew a line um, with all of those lows. We broke that, but we held, like you said, at that 50 day. If you look back over the last nine months or so, um, since basically November, you know, the 50 day has has been um, a level of support. It's been breached um, minimally uh, here and there, but then we've seen new higher highs. If we were to basically just ricochet off that 50 and make new highs, we're looking at 4,400 again. Um, and then you really don't have resistance until a bit above that. But again, I, I'm in your camp here. I think if we were to fail, break that 50 day, we're going to be looking at those May lows, which are somewhere around 4,100 or so. But I want to I want to go to the next slide, guy, because I think this is really important. I know we touched on this last be- uh, week on the macro setup. Look at the RSP. This is the equal weight S&P 500 here. And you look at this and you say, well, it's con- been consolidating for like the last three months. It's not confirmed any of the new highs in the market cap weighted S&P 500 since early May. And look where that thing stopped to the penny, um, like you say, to those that double bottom low um, in May. What does that say to you? We are in earnings season. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we talk about the NASDAQ also. Um, but, you know, the equal weight, again, it, it's tra- traded, trending water here, trading water. And, uh, you know, it's at a precarious spot. I think so. And what this tells you, obviously, is that the broader market has been led by a handful of names that you point out all the time. And that's why we've been making new highs in the S&P. But, you know, when you took a look at this on an equal weight basis, when you sort of smooth it out, I guess, in layman's terms, it tells a much different story. I mean, effectively, a market that's gone sideways since early spring or so. And, th- and that makes a lot of sense. I will tell you, I mean, this is really the chart I think that everybody should be looking at, because I think this tells a much better story. And oh, by the way, the Russell or the IWM or the small cap is another one that should be looked at as well. The S&P is an interesting chart for reasons, but this to me really tells the story of the market. What does it tell me? Well, it looks to the downside, which will take us down to that 200-day moving average, which comes in around 135 or so. Last time that we saw this was in September, and it stands to reason that maybe by the time we hit September again, we'll take a visit. Makes a lot of sense. We're into earnings season. Obviously, next week is a huge week. It's going to be fascinating to see how this thing performs on the back of what are going to be really important earnings numbers. Yeah. So on that market cap weight, we know that those top five names, all the big super cap tech stocks make up nearly 25% of the weight of the S&P 500, the SPX, um, not so obviously in the equal weight, but go to, let's, let's, let's move to the NDX, the NASDAQ 100 guy, because this is a really interesting chart. Also, you know, 
top fives make up about 45% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. That is an index of 100 stocks, people. Look at that. I think it's really interesting. Thank you for that, by the way. Well, I just want to make sure that we got that very clear here. But, you know, back in March, you know, the NDX was unchanged on the year. Since mid-May, it had like a 15% peak to trough or, you know, or rally from those lows. We just broke that uptrend. You look at that 14,000 breakout level. That looks interesting. It's also interesting average 13,100 lines up with that may low there um you know again next week the earnings expectations sentiment into those big uh super cap earnings are going to really dictate what is the break make new highs above 15,000 no question about it and you obviously saw huge runs in in the stocks to make it up amazon microsoft google apple i mean they all had tremendous runs to the upside i mean amazon to me and you said it a couple weeks ago that was the most interesting I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You said it was one of the most spectacular moves you've ever seen in terms of a stock of that magnitude, having the type of one day move that that stock saw. And finally, it broke out to the upside. But you wonder, I mean, I said after that, you know, the earnings in, listen, the setup is that setup. Then you had these subsequent moves. Now the setup is not nearly as good as it was. It is an absolute coin flip, in my opinion, how these things trade gun to my head, as they say, you know, I think Amazon's going to come out with ridiculous numbers, ridiculous being strong. But I think it might have exhausted itself a week, week and a half or so ago, Dan. Yeah, and Apple, you know, just made that new all-time high last week, might have also exhausted itself, definitely underperforming the S&P and the NASDAQ. I'll just say this. When I look at a chart like this NDX chart, I would fully test of that trend that had just broken down from a couple days ago, but a failure there. And then you're going to be testing 1400 again um, on the downside. Again, it'll be really um, fascinating to see where these big cap stocks are, these mega caps, these five names are next week prior to their earnings. I think that dictates probably how they trade. I don't think the numbers and the guidance guy are going to be enough to gap them in materially higher from all-time highs. It would just take an awful lot. You think of the five of them combined are nearly $9 trillion in market cap. No question about it. And we'll see. I mean, I think it's as important as still of earnings we're going to get in terms of the setup, in terms of what we've seen, in terms of where yields are, all those things. It really is sort of, you throw all those things in the cauldron, as they say, and let's see what kind of potion comes out of it. But the next chart we have to look at, because I think this is really important as well, because this hasn't figured out where it wants rates, is the, is the Russell. Now, I think the good news are the small cap index. The good news for this is here we are. We, you know, we traded right down to that 200-day moving average. The last time this happened was back in September, and you saw the way that we bounced. You saw the magnitude of the bounce and the fact that we really haven't seen it in the last you know, 11 or so months. Maybe it happened over the last couple trading days ago. You might have seen, you might have gotten that exhaustive move to the downside in the IWM, small cap, RTY, whatever you're looking at. This, to me, is a really fascinating chart. And by the way, if you watch the macro setup, for a long time we've said, you know, it really needs to visit this 200-day. Well, guess what, folks? That's what happened. Yeah. Um, listen, again, um, that's a tough press. I, I think as a technician, you might have liked to have seen it kiss that 2084 guy a little mm-hmm. bit. You know what I mean? It kind of found some support just above it. I think if uh, you know the, the markets were open just a little longer um, the other day, we might have seen that. Um, you know, again, it's, it's really hard to press. The, you, you look at that horizontal line, that was the March low. That seemed to be a bit of a panic. But I think it's also important to remember that like this is one that we were keying off. We're trying to make the case that 
that despite the new highs in the S&P and the NASDAQ that were driven by the super cap stocks, that there had been massive corrections in small caps and a lot of other sectors. And so maybe this did what it needed to do. Maybe expectations are low enough now for a lot of these names as we head into Q2 earnings and we get Q3 guidance. Um, so we'll see. You'd probably like to see maybe a little bounce towards 2200. And then if you're inclined to play for a breakdown below that support, which happens to be also the 200 day, then maybe you wait for a little bit of a bounce. But that's a tough press. And like it you is said, a tough press. No, yeah. and real quick, you know, in terms of trading, you're right. It is a tough press. What Dan is saying, and I know you know this, a tough press to continue to try to short it here. You know, the right trade was probably to be short and then to take profits on that 200-day moving average. This is not Monday morning quarterbacking. If you are looking for a trade, though, here, Dan, I would submit a close below sort of, I don't know, 2050 or so. Maybe that's the time to press. Um, But until you get that, if, in fact, you get that, I think here's where you're covering and here's where you're getting flat if you were short. Yeah, I think from a trading perspective, that's exactly, you need to some pressure to be released. You need to see that bounce off of that level that everyone was looking for. And then if it fails and starts going back lower, maybe you start to press at those prior lows there. And that's a good trading setup. But guy, you know, you just mentioned um, the Russell and the sideways action. It really did top out in March. It topped out when interest rates topped out, right? right? And we've been talking about this. We have a chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Um, We got nearly to 1.8% in March. Um, You know, at the time, you and I were saying it started this downtrend. It was really sniffing out, I think, slower than expected growth. We know that growth is going to be higher than it's been over the last few years because we've had this big bounce back. We have all this liquidity, the fiscal stimulus, the monetary, but you know, it wasn't much um, you know, out there. I, I just think that a lot of economists, a lot of strategists, a lot of investors were, were really playing for higher rates, which would be good for risk assets because it shows a return to kind of some pre-pandemic levels. The pain trade was obviously lower. It sliced through that 200-day moving average um, just the other day here. And you know, to me, guy, I look at that low from late January and say, I don't know how this thing doesn't go back to 1% in the near future. Certainly looks that way. And great call by you again. It's important to emphasize this. I mean, we say when we're wrong. For me, it's all the time. But Dan's <laughs> been on this now for quite some time, and it's come to fruition. I will tell you in terms of, you know, here we are taping this. Uh, you have a really interesting reversal in terms of yield today. We'll see if that holds up on big volume, by the way. So we'll see where the actual yield closes. But great call by Dan in terms of the move back down to this sort of 120 level. It actually went down to 115, to your point. Listen, if we get down to 1%, that's going to be fascinating to see. You know, thinking about the Russell again, what does the Russell want? I mean, you're talking about small cap stocks. These are the most economically sensitive names. So it stands to reason that, you know, higher rates are suggestive of more economic activity. That should be good for these names. But, you know, as you mentioned, when rates went to 175 in the tenure, that's when the IWM, the Russell, the RTY topped out. It doesn't know what it wants. And I think rates are trying to figure out what they want as well. If you do see a meaningful bounce today in terms of rates, obviously a sell up in the TLT or whatever instrument you look at uh, that manifests itself in yields, it's going to be a fascinating day to sort of bookmark. We talk about Moby Dick being that great book. I know you probably read it, Dan. I know I had to read it 700 odd pages. 
You know, every once in a while, you got to bookmark a page. Well, today's one of those days where you got to bookmark. Yeah, I think, Dan. I, I think we we make lower lows, and I don't think that we're going to just get really sloppy. I think that you might have a capitulation. You might have a reversal. It probably looks closer to that 1%. But I will tell you that if the Delta variant, as you said last night on CNBC's Fast Money, gives the Fed some cover to remain dovish in the face of what all these inflation pressures, or at least what looks to be, you know, real inflation right now, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no reason why it shouldn't overshoot to the downside. All that being said, I think you see a technical bounce at 1% and then people start looking past next week's Fed meeting and they start thinking about Jackson Hole. And that to me, I think taking a bet here or very near that 1% that rates are going to go higher for all the reasons they went from 1% to 1.77% in Q1, that makes sense to me. That'll be the trade. Yeah, it's interesting. And just real quick, I mean, we had Chris Verone on a few Thursdays ago on Fast Money. He yeah. mentioned that, you know, you have this upwardly sloping 200-day moving average. And, you know, when rates were 132 or so, he thought that they would trade down to 125 and bounce. And by the way, for a day or two, that's exactly what happened. I mean, rates went from 132 down to 125 in a straight line on that Friday. And by Monday or Tuesday of the following week, 10-year yields were back to 141. You think about the percentage moves we're seeing yeah. – in yields, it's pretty staggering when you think about what should be the most liquid security on the planet is trading like a biotech stock. But that's another for another show. The next chart we have to look at before we get to our great guest, Peter Hanks, who I dig, by the way, is gold. Because, you know, gold, again, I mean, f- seemingly getting off the mat here. But, you know, Dan showed you this trend. We're in this downtrend now. It's basically August of 2019 or so when we made those highs. And here. Oh, excuse me, 2020, here we are just sort of bleeding away in this very significant downtrend right in the middle of it. I still think higher. I'm sure Dan has other views. Well, listen, you know, Guy, we've been talking about gold and you had a really nice call. You wanted to play it in the spring for a bounce and that corresponded, that bounce. I mean, that was a huge bounce from 1650 off the lower bounds of that downtrend to the upper bounds there near 1900. And that coincided with Bitcoin being cut in half. Well, we're going to talk about Bitcoin in a few minutes here, but Bitcoin, you know, is We've seen a little bounce here in July and gold. I just kind of feel like, you know, that at some point, the lower Bitcoin goes, I'm not sure we're seeing that much money. It's a $550 billion market cap um, crypto right now. I'm just not, I just don't see the flows going back towards gold. And I think everyone who owns gold owns enough of it. That's my quick take. It's a bit of no man's land here, but I would be playing for a move back to 1700 soon. Got a lot of headlines coming out about central banks hoarding the physical metal. Yeah. We'll see. It hasn't really managed manifested itself in a watch you know when i was a kid we used to go to frank sinatra concerts or i don't even know (laughs) if we called them concerts back then but you know all the young women in the crowd would swoon which brings us to our next headline dan oil price swoon i love that word yeah better further declines uh first of all you brought up a chart a while back uh, this downtrend we've been in since 2008 which was spot on almost to the penny in terms of trading up to that trend line as well is it worth pressing your bet remember that i know you like that game show press your luck well are you pressing your luck here if you continue to bet on further declines well listen i mean that was a really sloppy day um yesterday obviously down eight and a half percent at its lows we're a little lower today you expect a bit of a bounce we're seeing that in some other risk assets that got hit hard look at that chart it broke that uptrend that had been in place since um early november prior to the election in the vaccines um and we're also through that day we're kind of 
pending with it right here, that 200 days all the way down there near 57. I mean, listen, the combination of growth fears about the Delta variant. Remember, okay, the U.S. is open pretty much. We're back to um, a level of activity that um, is might be commensurate with $66 crude. Nice word. But the, re- but the rest of the world is not. And the rest of the world is not nearly as vac- uh, vaccinated as we are. So you have growth concerns. And then, oh, the timing of that OPEC plus um, production deal guy, you tell me, not particularly you know, maybe it's around here, decent support, I think in the low 60s or so. Maybe it doesn't get really sloppy because there's going to be fits and starts to this reopening globally. Obviously, people got themselves off sides. I was one of those people for a long time that thought crude would, you know, overshoot to the upside. I happen to think that overshoot would be somewhere between 85 and 100. Obviously, that didn't manifest itself. But in terms of overshoots, you know, crude is one of those commodities that does it historically. And maybe we're in the midst of now let's overshoot to the downside. I'd be shocked if it traded down to that 200-day, which by the time it gets there, it's probably around $58 or so. But you know what? Weird things happen. And when the market is as offsides as it is in the crude world, obviously everybody being sort of skewed long, weird things can happen. So if you continue to see yields fall, again, I don't think that's going to happen. But if you do continue to see yields fall, one has to wonder uh, what it means for the crude market. And maybe that 57, 58 level is not as much of a wild card as I thought. Yeah, great timing. Not just yields falling, but we're going to bring uh, Peter Hanks in right now. It's also that dollar firming. And he's got, yes. a lot, he's got a lot to say on that. The dollar, the U.S. dollar index has been uh, pretty firm, you know, in and around 93 here. Peter, how are you, man? Bring him in. Good. I love Peter Hanks. How are, by the way, <laughs> before we get into it, Peter Hanks, as we sit here, and I know you know this, the Bucks of Milwaukee, have now taken a 3-2 lead over the Suns of Phoenix. Down two zip, they've rallied back to win three in a row. Are the Bucks going to close them out, or does Phoenix have some magic left in their wand? You know, I, I, the Suns beat my Lakers. Uh, I thought they'd go all the way. You know, Chris Paul deserves it more than anyone after his long and storied career. But the Bucks are looking real nice, and Giannis just has such a such a wholesome story behind him. So I'm taking the Bucks in six. I think they I close it, it out. Uh, you close it. So before I know Dan wants to talk about the dollar, as do I. But will that make will a Phoenix win? If Phoenix were to win, would that make you feel better about your Lakers, knowing that they succumb to the eventual NBA champion? Yes or no? Absolutely. Yep. There and we go. were injured the whole time. Easy. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good answer right, well, for listen, you. All right, Sorry, I'm going to move this thing along, Peter Hanks. All right, you have you have speak to my crude chart really quickly, and then you have another crude chart here, which um, I think you know mine is just literally we're looking at this last few months here. Um, what does this mean to you? What does that breakdown below the breakout level from early uh, June, and then also that uptrend that been in place from November, and now it's uh, kept just kind of banging around at that fifty day. Yeah, I think, you know, the key thing here is the break beneath that rising trend line. Uh, I believe last time I was on the macro setup, we were discussing, you know, crude had been pretty resilient uh, while other commodities were kind of falling by the wayside a little bit. And from a trading perspective, it wasn't looking super attractive long, but you could make the argument that there was still some more to run, still some more room to run. Uh, I think the correction that we got was really, you know, a perfect storm. Uh, the Delta variant in my opinion, I don't think we'll lock down very much in the United States at this point. Vaccination rates are, are high enough. And in some of the major population centers, it might be a little politically unpopular to go back into lockdown. So I think, as you stated, uh, the demand picture in the U.S. is pretty strong, but not the rest of the world. So this crude breakdown 
might have some more legs on it. Uh, down to that 200 day would be quite oh. far, but on my chart that I brought along a little bit longer dated, I have uh, circled some of these swing highs back mm-hmm. in 2019, uh, potential areas of support in my eyes. So with that rising trend line kind of dead and gone now, uh, it's time to look for, okay, well, if there are some more legs on this decline, where bottom them out uh, before the 200 day? And you see back in 2019, just a few potential options all around 65, 64, 66. Uh, if anything, they could, you know, culminate and create some early support in that area. You heard Dan and I talking, obviously, you sit through it and I apologize, but we were talking about the importance of the dollar. And that's obviously your next chart. And that's really where you make your bones in terms of what's going on. We've seen this huge flight to quality in the form of the U.S. dollar. You know, I'm not sure that's I don't sure that's appropriate, but that's what's happening. So it really doesn't matter what I think. What do your charts say? What are you thinking? Yeah, so from the fundamental side, I think we did get a little bit of a safe haven bid in the last few sessions, uh, helping the dollar along, which, you know, combined with some of the hawkish policy that we've been seeing, hawkish is uh, very loosely hawkish, I might add, but nevertheless, we are uh, making our way higher here on the U.S. Got that double bottom. We're now in that ascending channel, which might work its way into a rising wedge that we'll have to deal with later. Maybe some consolidation off the back of that. But for the time being, looking pretty optimistic here uh, for the U.S. dollar, especially if there's any more safe haven bid. And this strength in the dollar is going to kind of act as a, a headwind for some of these dollar denominated commodities like crude, like gold. So that could, uh, that could be factoring into some of the weakness there. Next chart I brought along is a potential way to play some of this crisis and mm-hmm. dollar strength, namely dollar CAD here. Uh, Canadian economy, very sensitive to moves in crude oil prices just because they export so much. So we got a huge move to the upside yesterday in dollar CAD. Uh, again, twofold drivers behind that. Um, safe haven bid on the dollar, weakness in crude. I think some resistance down the line here, maybe around 130. Uh, that's a ways off. While it might be looking a little extended, I do think there are legs here and uh, you know potential way to play that if you're not so not so bearish on crude, but still think there could be something there. Yeah, this is obviously Dollar Canada, Aussie Dollar is the two of the commodity, two of the currencies that sort of map the, this global commodity thing. I think it's a fascinating chart. I'm glad you brought it up. I want to go to Dan's. Dan is sort of. You know, sometimes people adopt things. Well, I think Dan has adopted the Bitcoin for a number of different reasons. And finally, we seem like we've reached what has been support, something that Dan's talked about for a while. I want you to talk about it. I want Dan to sort of opine first, if that's okay. Well, here's the thing. When you say adopt, and this is one of the problems, I think, with the Bitcoin narrative right now, that, I mean, people were talking about currency adoption. I think the biggest branding mistake the Bitcoin community has made is calling Bitcoin a cryptocurrency, really, because I think that what's been very clear is that regulators want to take a look at alternative currencies. We've seen that the world over, right? And we've seen a lot of skepticism about it and a lot of potential regulation. The flip side of that, a crypto asset would make a lot more sense, right? Because it's just going to face a lot more regulatory scrutiny. And and let's be fair or, or be honest, no one's transacting with Bitcoin, right? And they are using, let's say, stable coins like 
other. I think I read this morning that half of the Bitcoin transactions are being done with Tether, which again is causing a lot of regulators to take a look at that. Our friend Danny Moses uh, podcast on the tape has been talking about this for weeks now. There is some risk to the financial system, given what they um, have, uh, you know, staked each one of these tether coins too. So, you know, listen, the Bitcoin here, it's back at those January lows. We saw what happened when the st- when it was sold off um, in January. It had a huge rip. It just doesn't feel that way now, Guy. We've had, and, and Peter, we've had two um, intraday lows below this 30,000. Here we are again below it. What's your take here, Peter? This is like setting up as kind of a nasty, maybe capitulation support. Yeah, this is looking pretty ugly, in my opinion. Initially, when we touched 30,000, you know, that was a sign that I think further losses were kind of on the horizon. We haven't really seen anything to suggest that they aren't uh, on the technical side, at least. You know, lower lows, lower highs. We're trending closer and closer beneath 30K. And I agree, people are not transacting in Bitcoin. If they are, they're probably a nervous wreck because it would be a terrible idea. And actually, related to transacting in uh, alternative currencies, the U.S. State Department, I think it was yesterday, said athletes, U.S. ones, not to transact in uh, some of the Beijing or China cryptocurrencies that they have there. So there's going to be some competition in that space. That's, you know, a topic for time. But I don't think Bitcoin will ever be that uh, transactional currency. And uh, calling it a crypto asset would have been smarter. It's not that now young people are maybe buying the dip in stocks. But if they're buying it in Bitcoin, it doesn't look to be doing much. I think we're going lower. It's interesting. They were told to not transact in a number of different activities, but that's a different show for a different network, Dan Nathan and Peter Hanks. And listen, I think you know, it would be somewhat poetic if that 20,000 level, which where we topped out in December of 2016, exploded to through on the upside, obviously, earlier, late last year, earlier this year. It seems somewhat poetic if we were to go and take a look at it again. We'll see. The fact that we're through 30,000 and we were unable to bounce for so long Leads me to believe that might be in the cards. Anyway, Dan, Nathan, I want to thank long-suffering Laker fan, although long-suffering <laughs> is ridiculous when you're a Laker fan. Peter Hanks, thanks for joining us. Dan, I want to thank you. But you know what's really important, Dan? We should get, we got to thank our sponsors. First one I want to thank is obviously IGUS, one of the fastest-growing foreign exchange in America and open exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I dig the macro setup. I dig Peter Hanks and Dan Nathan. You know I dig you. (laughs) Man, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Guy. Thanks to uh, our sponsors. And uh, we'll see you all here next week. Macro setup, buddy. Later.